Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a girlfriend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Happy Wednesday, you guys. We are at the end of the month of May. How are you doing? That is the question that I would really wish I could sit across the table and have coffee with you and ask you, how are you doing? I hope you're doing well. I hope that you're staying connected to your family and friends as best as you possibly can. Things are slowly opening back up around here in Austin, Texas. And I'm, of course, doing the appropriate mask wearing and social distancing to help things go more smoothly. I hope the same for you all listening. I know these past few months have been challenging to say the very, very least. On today's show, we actually talk a bit about the coronavirus and how physical distance may impact so many people in so many different ways. My guest today is Lori Ferguson Wilbert. I first heard of Lori through some of her writing. And so when I saw her beautiful book come through my office, and I'm telling you guys, it is a beautiful book, I knew I had to read it. Her book, Handle with Care, is an incredible conversation around physical touch and the church. In our conversation today, you will hear how Lori's story gives her a unique perspective to be able to talk about this element of connection. Lori grew up in a fundamental Christian environment, but it wasn't until she was 29 that she heard the gospel and learned about grace. This topic and conversation is really important to have, and it's not one that we have always handled with care within the church. I hope you will be encouraged by Lori's words in our conversation today. And if you can get your hands on her book, Handle with Care, you'll be encouraged by that as well. Before we jump into the show, I need to announce this week's winner. We've been doing some giveaways on my social media where we ask you guys to share some shareables, which just means screenshot, add in your favorite guest and share it so we can all see. Here's the winner. Drum roll. Here it is. It's at always a farm kid. You're the winner. Tiffany, thank you for being a listener of the happy hour and sharing who your happy hour crew would be. And I agree with you. That crew would not be throwing things or biting each other as sometimes our kids might, but I promise you, we're all going to want those snacks. Email us at podcast at jamieivy.com with your address and shirt size. We have loved doing these fun giveaways all month long for the birthday month, and we're going to do one more this week. So head on over to my website, jamieivy.com slash celebrate, or you can check out or find me on Instagram at jamieivy and find some of the happy hour shareables that we've been using for the birthday month. Screenshot the image, share it with your favorite happy hour guests, or make a mashup of your favorite version of happy hour. I cannot wait to see who you mentioned from the show. I especially love hearing two things. One, who your dream guests are, and two, what show you've loved the most. Friends, if you've been listening to the shows in order, you've heard me talk about the Bible study, Your Story Matters. We finished our first round, and it was such a delight to go through this Bible study that means so much to me with so many women, and we did it all online. It was six weeks long. It was a teaching series because I really believe that stories change the world, and I believe that your story matters. I loved hearing from the ladies that went through the study this time, the way that God was opening their eyes to see the ways that he's working in the midst of the hard times, the good times, the beautiful times, the dark times, all throughout their story. And we want you to experience the joy and freedom from living free from the lies that keep you from sharing your story. Your Story Matters is available all the time. You can buy it whenever you want. You can do it whenever you want. It is all online. The price is staying at $19. All the details are available at jamieivy.com slash your story matters. 
Text their girlfriend today and ask her if she wants to join you. This would be a great study to start off June with. Okay, guys, here's my conversation with my new friend, Lori. Lori, welcome to the happy hour. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to have you and give you a little background. I have known about you and read your stuff for a while. And when I saw that you were releasing a book, I thought I cannot wait to have her on my show. So I am so excited to have you here today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Okay. You live in Texas like me. um, Introduce yourself to our listeners so they can get a grasp of who we're talking to today. Yeah. So I live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area in Flower Mound. I'm not from Texas, but as the song goes, Texas wanted me anyways. Texas is a struggle for me. I know people love it here. It's been a little bit of a struggle for me. I've been here 10 years, but I'm grateful to be here. My husband is a UT grad, so... Okay, well, I have a question right off the bat because I'm going to try not to be offended, you know, as a <laughs> as a lifelong Texan, and I just think anyone gets here is going to like it here. Lori, what's hard about Texas 10 years in? So I'm from way up north of um, in upstate New York, so right next to Canada. So I'm used to... I grew up with four full seasons. I grew up with cold winters coolish summers. Um, I think there's a lot of cultural things that have been hard for me about here. Just like the cultural Christianity has been really, I feel like that really rubs against me in some ways that are, I think it should rub against us in some ways. We should be a little bit uncomfortable with the cultural Christianity. I think it's been hard. Uh, It's been something that I've had a hard time getting used to. You know, the cultural Christianity, a lot of places who don't experience what we have in the South, which is like what you're saying is where we would hear a lot of people just say they're Christians because they're Christians and they were born Christians and they go to church on, you know, three Sundays out of the month and always Christmas and Easter. So then, you know, but yet there's nothing to their faith. There's no fruit to their faith. I think the difference in the South and the North, and you can correct me because I've never lived in the North, is that no one would pretend to be that. In the North? In the North. Oh, no, no, yeah. <laughs> not in a million years. Yeah. No, if you're a Christian, you're going to, and you're, you're serious about your faith if up there and you are, you're clear about it. And yeah, it's very I feel different. Like it's like that in other places of the world as well. Yeah, that I think so. Seriousness to their faith. Now, so you did not go over in a Christian home. I grew up in a, I would say a, like a fundamentalist Christian home in some ways. So we went to church, never heard the gospel, um, a lot of legalism. I mean, if I told you my childhood, you'd be shaking your head in some ways at some of the things that we did growing up. But I think in some ways there's some overlap to a lot of stories in the way that I grew up. But yeah, just never heard the gospel until I was 29. 29? Yeah. No, I find it so interesting and beautiful too that that you... There, there's like this, okay, I'm going to go off on a rabbit trail right here right, okay. right now. My kids are growing up in a quote unquote Christian home, you know, like both their parents are believers. Their dad is a pastor. Their mom does, you know, Christian podcast stuff. And so there's this sense that they'll always grow up knowing and hearing the gospel. And I love that. I'm happy for that. But I also find it so beautiful when someone remembers the moment that they heard the gospel for the first time. Now, granted, I hope that my kids will remember the moment that it became true for them and real for them, and they believed it with their own heart. But hearing you say, I heard it for the first time at 29, can you walk me through a little bit what that was like as a 29-year-old? And when you say hearing the gospel, I know what you mean, but I want you to explain that to our listeners. Like, What did that mean for you to hear something 
where that light bulb went off in your head for the first time? Yeah. So I think the way I, I always describe it is the word grace was a girl's name to me growing up. Like I didn't, I had no concept of grace, even in, in our home, there wasn't a lot of grace. There was a lot of harsh, I think, disciplinarian methods. Yeah. Not a lot of grace for mistakes and that sort of thing. And then I went through a period of time where I, when I was 19, my younger brother was killed in a, an accident and my parents went through a pretty horrific divorce really shortly after that. And I got sort of pulled into a church culture that just loved me really well. I mean, they were my, they became my family and they loved me well. They embraced me. They accepted me. There was, yeah, I don't know any other way to describe it. I felt like a family. I was family. I was treated like family in a lot of ways, lived with people from that church, was on staff at that church. And Looking back, you would say you were not a Christian. No, I would say I understood how I began to understand how to speak the lingo. The way that I looked at my sin, the way that I looked at myself, the way that I looked at Jesus. I think I looked at my sin like it was, you know, if I just tried harder, I would get through it. If I I looked at myself like I was just, you know, worth nothing in anyone's eyes. I looked at Jesus and God as as a harsh taskmaster. Um, and then I, there was this other side of it that I looked at God as sort of a genie. Like if I did good things, that he would bless me. And I, all, all around my life was just destruction. Like, I mean, really hard things. I, you know, when I've talked with therapists, they've said, that's really hard. You know, that's like significantly hard. And a lot of people don't go through that. And I think at the time I just kept thinking, well, if I try harder, God will bless me. And I hit a point, I think I was 27, where I just was thought, if this is, if God is good, he's not being good to me. And, and I, I just don't know that I can serve a God that's like not good to his children. And, and, and I would, I thought I was his child. And so that just sent me to kind of into a period of, I think, doubt, depression, where I really had to sort of grapple with, I had to kind of get down deep into the deepest parts of what I believed and didn't believe about God. And ultimately, I would say, landed me in a place where I just, I believed he did not exist. Mm. And it was kind of crazy, because we were talking about cultural Christianity there. Someone shared with me a sermon from a pastor in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, it was called Preaching the Gospel to the Dechurched, and I listened to that sermon 16 times in a week, and I thought, I have never heard this before. Mm-hmm. I still, every once in a while, I'll go back and listen to that sermon again and think, I never, how did I go through, and I I want to be clear, I think a lot of times maybe the gospel is being articulated and we just don't have ears to hear. And so I never want to say the gospel was never preached to me. I think probably it was. I just didn't have eyes to hear. I think I needed to get to the the bottom of my doubts. I needed to get to the desperation. And so crazy train of events, 29 years old, I moved down here to go to the church where I heard the gospel. I was just crazy. I packed, I you know, sold everything, packed up my car. Oh, wait, time out. You didn't, it wasn't like a local pastor. No. Okay. No. It's even better. Yes. Yeah, so in Texas. Nope. This is all up in New York still. And so I, um, I drove down, packed up my car, sold everything, packed up my car, drove down here, and um, it was at the village. So it was Matt Chandler was preaching, and I walked in the door, and 
I'm not, it's kind of crazy to explain, but I walked in the door and was trying to get into a small group and all the small groups were closed. And this woman grabbed my arm as I was leaving. And here I am, you know, this upstate girl from upstate, I've got like dreadlocks and I smell like patchouli and I stick out like a sore thumb in Flower Mound, Texas. And she grabs my arm and she says, I know you didn't get into a small group, but we have room in the women's Bible study. And I said, I don't do women's Bible studies. <laughs> like women gossip and they cry and I'm, I'm not, I can't do that. Yeah. Um, and she said, oh, it's not that kind of Bible study. And she was right. And so uh, it was, I was the last person to get added to the group and I show up and I'm, I'm not a front row sitter. I'm a back row sitter. And the only, I was put in group one and I was the last person to show up. So I was front and center <laughs> group one. And Jen Wilkin was the one who grabbed my arm. This was, I think the first or second year she taught through Genesis at the village and she taught that night on, in the beginning, God created, and that was it. And the veil was torn for me. I began to see God as a being completely apart from me. So he was creator, even when I didn't exist. And he was, he had a character and attribute that was apart from me. It didn't, it wasn't dependent on me. And I think that for me was just this moment of, of realization that I Nothing that I had or didn't have was dependent on me. It was dependent on a God who was wholly set apart and had attributes wholly apart from me. And that was, I would say that was a moment. I think there's not a a specific day that I can say that was the day. I would say that day the veil was torn into for me. And that began just a really sweet period of time where began to commune with God and know him and, and that is not to say that like life turned around and got better. I think a lot of things have been really hard since then. And what I've seen is that God is good and sufficient through it. And so, yeah, that's my I love story. it so much. Yeah. I was thinking as you were telling the story about where how you said you grew up with that, I don't want to put words in your mouth, legalistic kind of mm-hmm. view of God and faith and church. And I could see that that tension and that struggle in those, you know, 19 to 27 years where you're like, if I could just be better, if yeah. I could just do enough. And I think that what's crazy about that is you and I both know that that's not the gospel. You and I both mm-hmm. know that that is not right and that is not true. But you know what, Lori, sometimes in like my weakest like sin, sometimes I still think that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, okay, God, I cannot. Jamie, are you still doing, are you still struggling with this? If you could just be better than this. And I think it is an encouragement to you and to me and to a listener to think that that necessarily that idea and that thinking might not you know, evaporate and go away right when we decide that Jesus is sufficient. He's enough for us. But it is this kind of constant battle that we're going to have to deal with, I think, until we see him face to face. Yeah, I think so too. I love the passage where Thomas uh, meets Jesus uh, after Jesus is resurrected. And he, you know, right before it, he says, you know, unless I stick my hands in his side and my fingers in his nail holes, I won't believe. And I just think like, that's messy. That's messy, gutsy, intrusive uh, faith right there. Like he wants something that he can like sink his teeth into or sink his hands into literally. And, and, and Jesus gives him that. And so I think 
for me, it's just really helpful to remember that like faith is messy and, and God wants to meet us in that messy place. He wants to like show up and offer his messy wounded side and hands to us. And the mess and the struggle is worth it. I mean, even just hearing your story of journeying for seven years or however long or longer that it was, it's worth it because when your eyes were open and you began to hear the gospel in a new way, it's like all of those seven years, I always say like, you probably would think like, oh, I don't want to do those again. Like, I'm not asking for those seven years again. But those built this foundation in you to trust and believe and the know that God is good and He is sufficient and He is sovereign and He does want to have a relationship with you that might otherwise have been a little bit more difficult for you. I think too, yeah, absolutely. And I think too, it, it kind of planted a, a sense of courage in me where... I was, I know that there's goodness if I'll actually dig down deep and wrestle with something, which I think is just really scary for a lot of us. We're afraid to ask the questions because we're afraid of what we might uncover and we might uncover unbelief. And what I, I'm so glad for that because even now I still struggle with doubt around so many things, you know, and I'm more willing to say, okay, what's underneath that? Like, am I willing to look at that and see that God might want to heal something that I have left, that's been left unhealed and, and to trust that God will be in that space. And that's really hard to do. It's really hard. And I was just thinking, as you said that, I mean, we're raising teenagers over here and man, do I wish that they would just believe and then never Mm -hmm. doubt? Yes. But I am having to remind myself to hold space for their doubt, even though it scares the crap out of me. I mean, it scares the crap out of me. I mean, being a preacher's kid is no, it's it's like not for the faint of heart. And so I'm scared about that. But this is a reminder that we can hold that tension and trust God with it. Okay. So I want to switch over to your book. Great. A couple of things first about it. Number one, the cover. Lori? Steven Kratz. That's all Steven Kratz. Let me tell you, um, I should make a list. And I doubt there will be a cover that will come through my desk in 2020 that will top this cover. It is unbelievable. I cried when they told me. I asked for him specifically, and I cried when I found out he was going to be able to do it. If you go onto his website, you can see the the wood cutting that he did to make that. And it's just... what? He actually... So it's it's a relief print, and he... Uh, cut wood out to make a print of it. I'm not kidding. Oh my gosh. It is absolutely beautiful. And it came through our house and it was sitting on the counter and, and my husband picked it up and he was like, what is this? I mean, he was like, just so drawn to it. And I was like, oh, it's a, you know, it's a book about how Jesus redeems the power of touch and life and ministry. And he's like, oh gosh, amazing cover. But I want to tell you, the cover is amazing. And so if anyone picks a book by the cover, which I pick a book <laughs> by the cover, I pick a wine by the cover, <laughs> I pick mayonnaise by the cover. <laughs> like I really, show me something that looks good, people. But I'm going to be honest with you, Lori, and you know, full disclosure, I told you before we started, I have not finished the book, but I will finish it because I'm loving it. But I want to tell you, I was a little bit nervous going into this. (laughs) I mean, I read it and I just thought how Jesus redeems the power of touch and life and ministry. And I can think of 50 reasons that keep me from touching people around me because I'm in ministry. And I could not come up with three before I started your book. And so, I mean, you say that we have this, you say we had this unique chance to embody a godly caring approach to this issue that neither withholds touch nor forcefully takes it. And the key word is they're caring. We need to know how to touch with true care. 
And I just want to know off the bat, where did the heart of this book come from? Because this is a hard subject to tackle. You do it beautifully of, you know, the hundred pages I've read. You do it gracefully. Uh, you do it vulnerably. So where did this come from? Where did this bubble up out of your heart and soul? I tell my story. And so I think that we all sort of p- passively go through life experiencing beautiful things, hard things, beautiful moments of being touched, really difficult. When we're a child, we don't understand what's going on. We're confused. Then with hindsight, we can look back and we can see, oh, I think that's what was going on in my heart during that. I think I got to marriage specifically and marriage for me highlighted how little I had thought about all forms of physical touch and how So I married someone who is not super, he does not enjoy, he does not like, he's not like into it at all. Touch for him, he was married previously and touch for him had always led to sex. And so he didn't have a box for touch that was just kind or gentle and not sexual. Whereas I got married, you know, 34 years old and I had only ever experienced, well, with the exception of dating relationships and sexual abuse in my young, my, when I was a child, I had only experienced touch as platonic. And so we sort of met one another and got married and I was just confused. And I thought, if I'm confused about this and I'm a pretty self-aware, introspective person, I can imagine the world is confused about this. And and that's happening simultaneously as Me Too, Church Too is happening. And I'm realizing, man, our world is really confused about this. And we are sort of tackling the sort of after effects of this right now. We are, you know, people are getting fired. uh, Investigations are happening and all those things. But I thought, man, what we actually need is a theology around touch. We need to understand what is good, pure, ministering, faithful touch. And I think we don't want, like I was talking about doubt, we we don't want to ask those questions because we're afraid of what we'll find. And so instead we just place hard and fast rules around what we can touch and don't touch. And what I say in the book is, you know, I think there's 48 times in the Old Testament where God says, do not touch something. And then Jesus comes and we see him, what? Touching everything. I mean, he's touching women. He's touching the sick. He's touching children. He's touching men. He's he's like getting his hands dirty. He's allowing himself to be touched too. He's making himself vulnerable. And so that for me just felt like such a compelling idea to explore. And I really, I don't think I'm an expert. I hope this book is the beginning of a conversation. I hope it's not the end. I really pray for that. But yeah, it's the book is just an exploration of me kind of studying scripture and looking at my story and looking at the stories of others and and hopefully trying to form some sort of cohesive glimpse. I wouldn't say it's it's uh, exhaustive in any sense, but a glimpse. Well, you've done a great job of starting the conversation and, you know, you have tons and tons of footnotes in here. And so I can see that you have dove into this subject uh, with a lot of just kind of curiosity and research of yourself and trying to figure out what this looks like. And, you know, I I mean, I told you already, it was kind of this like uneasy, scary feeling for me because I am, you know, you talk about the five love languages in here a little bit and we in the church, you know, we love to talk about those. And I love physical touch. I have one of my kids who will rename nameless because they're all getting old enough that they don't (laughs) like me to talk about them anymore. But he's like the one that I can just grab and get hugs from. Mm -hmm. And I, as I've been reading your book 
and I started to think through how often I do that when I see him. And it made me think like, I just need that touch. I need to be hugged. And sometimes, you know, when you talk about your husband like that, and, and you're not talking bad about him by any means, it it makes me think like, oh, this, not all people love this. And, you know, it's funny because when I do book signings, I, they're like, do you want to sit behind the table? Because that's where a lot of authors like to sit because they're like phenomenal authors and they don't really like to be out with the people. I'm the opposite. I'm like, put me with the people. So I'm like, no, I want to stand up. And I literally hug everybody that comes to the line. This is how we all get the flu and coronavirus, but I'm (laughs) hugging everybody. And I just feel like that's just how I am. Here's my question for you. And and this is this is a question that could take us 15 episodes. So bear with me when I ask you the, the hardest question ever. You talk about this in the sense of ministry a lot. This is this is a question that comes up all the time. Like, what is okay? We have all these meetings. We have all these rules about what you can do with people of the opposite sex because you don't want to look too much. You don't want to lead people on, all those kind of things. How did you tackle that in this book in a way that is helpful for those of us in ministry? Hardest question of the tower. <laughs> well, so I think, first of all, I'm really careful, and I say this in the book again and again, I'm really careful to not give prescriptive advice. And here's you why. that a, th- a thousand times, yes. Yeah, because I'm not you, and I'm not the person in front of you. So the point of Handle with Care is to teach us to handle all people with care. And I think so often when we are thinking about touch in any form, just people, when we think about touch, we're thinking self-protectively. We are thinking about how this reflects on me, uh, how this makes me feel, how I'll be perceived, how I could be misunderstood. And my point in Handle with Care is how do we care for the person in front of us? So some people, a a hug is profoundly healing. Mm -hmm. And um, I think of a woman a couple of years ago, I was praying out in front of my church at the end of church and a woman came up and never saw her before, never saw her again. She just said, I don't need prayer. I just need a hug. And I thought, I can do that. I can do that. So I held her for five minutes and she didn't cry. She didn't, I mean, it would be okay if she did, but she just needed a hug. She just needed someone to wrap their arms around them, around her and embrace her. Uh, Physiological things happen in our brain when we are embraced. And those things are profoundly healing in a way that's really mysterious and, and oftentimes unable to be articulated with our words. Other people have been profoundly wounded by touch in their lives. And perhaps they've been wounded by inappropriate touch or they've been wounded by the withholding of touch in their life. And so they don't know how to, they don't know how to be touched in healthy ways. And so my point is, how do you care for the person in front of us? And so for me, that looks like asking a lot, can I hug you? Can I put a hand on your shoulder when I pray for you or something like that? Because I want to care for them and I want them, it isn't, it's helpful for people to remember that they are the steward of their body. God gave their body to them to steward. And so it's helpful for me to ask them, how do you want your body to be handled? Because it's not about my body. And it's not about whether them refusing to hug me or giving me a side hug or front to hug or whatever, their preferred way of touching or not touching me. That doesn't say anything about me. I am God's child and I am loved by God and I'm chosen by God. And there, the way that they come at me says nothing about who I am and, and my standing in front of the Lord. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. 
Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. One of the things that it makes me think of is about how much, you know, I I interviewed a woman recently named Rebecca Bender, and and we talked a lot about how our culture is so sexualized. And so it makes me think the way that you were just explaining that, like we are to care for that person. Can I give you a hug? Do you need a hug? Is that that takes, it's almost, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but it's almost like the way that we are seeing the world is very sexualized. And so what was meant to care and to bring you know, goodness and that psychological thing that you said that happens in our brain gets kind of perverted within our society. And so it sounds to me like what you're saying and suggesting is that it takes a little bit of all of us owning our own, the way that we might've been, our the way that touch might've been perverted for us, laying that before the father and then asking him to show us how can touch be good for me? Yeah. I'm not putting words. I am I'm putting You are not. Now. You're not putting words in my mouth. I think, too, it's really helpful to remember that God's first act with man is what? It's to touch them. It's to form them. Um, it's to reach inside Adam and pull out a bone and from it form woman. And that helps me remember, like, God is not being sexual when he does that. So that helps me just to realize, like, touch is very sexualized in our culture. And I think in a lot of ways, we've made it so. Like, we're it's a self-fulfilling prophecy when we teach people that they're merely, you know, sexual beings, that's what they begin to believe about themselves. And I think God was saying, yes, you are sexual, but you are also emotional and physical and spiritual and psychological. You are all these things together. And it's very complex, um, but it's very beautiful. And when we only just sort of look at one aspect of a human, we we desecrate them. We dehumanize them. A real human is fully formed by God as a complex being. And so it is, it's a tender, tender thing. I don't think we can treat it lightly. It is so true. And, you know, I was just thinking that, you know, we're talking about cultural things and I, you know, 
as being someone who has had the opportunity to travel a little bit around the world, yeah. it's different in different contexts. So it's different. So different in, you know, Eastern Africa than it Asia, is in yeah. Texas, you know? And so you see things and you go, wow, look, they're just like holding hands and walking around and it's completely normal and there's nothing sexual about it. Yeah. Well, you know, I, um, I'm a big fan of this and I already told my husband when I'm done, I want him to read it. And then I'll probably be that person that sends all of her pastors and elders a text and it's like, mm. hey, I recommend this book for you. So thank you. Um, I told you before <laughs> that I, I dove into the the chapter this morning about opposites don't always attract. And you referenced one of my favorite movies in here, obviously, because we have to when we talk about opposites don't always attract is when Harry met Sally. And, you know, there's a famous line from Harry is that. He said, men and women cannot be friends. It's impossible. And then you also referenced um, a book by Amy Bird, which I have on my desk to read ASAP now. So and good. I just got her new book in the mail. Have yeah. you seen it? Yes. I'm going to have to have like a, a weekend of just diving in to all of her books. But you, this is, this is a hard one for me, Lori. I'm going to be really honest with you. Is I have always 100% sided with Harry on this versus when we're talking, if we're going to have sides between Harry and Sally. And I will also be honest with you and say that the more that I read this book and the more that I think about this, the way that our culture is so sexualized, I think that has shaped my view on that idea of can men and women be friends? I think if I have, if I laid down some of these cultural norms or some of the things that have happened to me in my life or some of the ways that men and women have been perverted in our culture, I think I could maybe see where, where I have come from on that. Talk to me about this for a second. I think this is really hard. I mean, each of the things that I talk about in the book are really hard. They're really complex topics. And so it's hard to nuance them quickly in a podcast. But, so hard. I know, which is why everyone must read the book. <laughs> so one of the things I think, so you, you referenced Amy Bird. Uh, her book is called Why Can't We Be Friends? And her subtitle, which I think is so brilliant, is Avoidance is Not Purity. And I think sometimes we we don't just do this with friendships. We do it with all kinds of things. We think if we avoid something that we have pure motives toward it, that's purity, is avoiding it. And it's not. Purity is a gift. It's a It's a fruit of the Spirit. And it's a gift from God, and it comes from a heart that wants to honor God. And so we have to step way back and say, like, what is honoring to God in this situation? And sometimes it's to be friends and to be good friends. So I reference uh, in the beginning of that chapter, one of my dearest friends in the world is a guy, and he's he's not married. I was in his wedding, and our friendship. And I, you know, I think in some ways people are like, well, that's an anomaly, and I think it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. And I think it comes, it stems from me seeing him not primarily as a man, but primarily as my brother in Christ and primarily as an image bearer of God. And when we sort of, the first thing we think about another human is their their organs. Like, that's not a helpful way to think about humans. Uh, we need to step back and say, this is a complex, beautiful image bearer of God. And um, and secondly, my brother in Christ or my sister in Christ. And that's a good rubric for thinking about all humans, not just our friends. It's a good rubric for thinking about people we date, the person we're married to. When you get to the chapter on marriage, that is my entire point, is that uh, he's not primarily my husband. He's primarily my brother. And um, so I think that's that's like a starting point. It's It gets, I think it's a pretty nuanced conversation. 
It very much is. And I'll tell you what you said um, in the book and just now in our conversation that really hit home for me is this whole avoidance is not purity. And um, Well, Amy Bird said that. Oh, it, we'll give her credit. Okay, good. <laughs> Amy Bird said that. Um, but that avoidance is not purity. And um, well, you do talk about it when you talk about dating a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Like I didn't just come into my marriage. Like we didn't do this, this, and this, and this. It's not necessarily a pure heart that you're off, right? You talk about that, right? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, yep. I talk about that. Okay. So I think I can see that in myself as I think through the past 10 years of um, ministry life and as kind of where God's brought me in having this weird word that we'll put air quotes around this public platform, whatever that might look like, and yeah. is that God has has given me opportunity to do things, and it's caused me to kind of reflect on this whole idea of this whole men and women can't be friends thing. And I, I don't think men and women can't be friends by any means. But when you when I read that in there about avoidance is not purity, I thought, how many times do I just say like, oh, I'll just like just stay clear. So then there's no opportunity instead of, well, what about self-control? What about, you know, goodness? What about purity? Like, why not give ourselves an opportunity to use those gifts that God's given us instead of just avoidance? And that was it was really, really mind opening when I read um when I read you talk about that, and I've and I've I've thought about that a lot over the past couple of years. Jen Wilkin has has had a lot of conversations about this that have really helped me grow in this area. So, I agree. This is not in your book. Is not here are the five ways to do ministry with the opposite sex because you're not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. No one's going to say that. But it is such a good starting point just to think about where are what are we bringing to the table and where are our hearts in this? Like, what's our motive? What's our where's our where's our Where's our opportunity to let God use the gifts, the, the spiritual gifts he's given us? So, And what are our expectations too? I think that's a really big one, a big part of it too. I think we sometimes expect the worst or we we cannot think about anything other than like the possibility that something might go wrong. And I want to argue that like Jesus is all about coming and saying, what about the possibility that something might go right and like yeah. beautifully right? Yeah. Yeah. When you just said that, Aaron and I were talking the other day, I was telling about your book and like years ago, we knew this guy who would avoid, he was in ministry, would avoid women as if they had like a disease that was contagious if, if he even looked at them. And we, I was talking about it because I was talking about the book and we looked back on that and we're like, man, it was so awkward. It was so uncomfortable. It was so weird to be around him. And we were newly married. And so it was like just this kind of figuring out, but it was, it just didn't feel right. And that's what I think that you're talking about is expecting the worst of everything. Like every woman must be wanting to get in his pants if they come close to him. And I'm just like, I don't think that was true actually. No, I think uh, my husband does not mind if I share this, but when he, so he walked through a divorce, um, a pretty painful divorce that he, you know, wasn't, he, he didn't want and didn't want the situation to happen. And, um, and then after the divorce was finalized, the elders at our church asked him to just sort of set aside a year um, where he would just fast, pray and seek the Lord. And maybe she would come back. That was kind of the hope. And, and she didn't, obviously we, we are married now, but during that period of time, he, he decided the way to get through that time was to totally white knuckle it and totally ignore women. So not talk to them, speak to them, look at them. And so my first like four interactions with him, I thought, man, this guy hates me. And I like, I'm not looking at him as like a potential husband at all. Like my mind's not there at all. 
And, but yeah, just would not look at, look at me in the eye. And then something shifted when like two, two or three of my friends began to sort of merge with his friend group. And he began to say, and he would say this, he would say, you guys taught me how to be a brother to my sisters in a way that I'd never seen before. And, and that was, I think the first thing that ended him ended up with him sort of being drawn to me was the way that I was able to be a sister to my brothers. So I think for the man who's doing that, there's hope and healing. Um, I think a lot of times it really is just that, you know, if you tell someone you're bad, you're bad, you're bad long enough, uh, they start to believe it and they start to act like it. And that can just be a really crushing uh, way to live. And, or if you look at women merely as you're an object, you're an object, you're an object, that's also an equally crushing way to live. And so I think saying you're an image bearer of a complex God is a much more beautiful and compelling way to speak about men and women. And really, I mean, the truth of it is, I've heard Jen say this before. I mean, the truth of it is, like you've said a hundred times as well, is like at the end of the day, all of us, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're going to spend eternity together in that relationship. And so we get the unique one-time opportunity to to love them well as brothers in Christ here on earth. And so kind of changing that that mindset and that way that we look at people it's encouraging. And so I'm, I'm thankful for you and your ministry. I'm thankful mm-hmm. for this book. I'm thankful for the way that you're bringing conversations to the table that are scary and that we might just want to avoid because it's too hard to think about. It's too hard to deal with. It's too hard to think through. And, you know, I would, we've been taught we're in quarantine right now. Uh, hello, we're, we're, <laughs> we're at home. <laughs> and one of the things that my husband mentioned the other day is he, he leads our creative and worship team and He's, and they're still coming out here, less than 10 people, all the things, less than 10 people mm-hmm. not touching, six feet apart to film, worship, and preaching. He said one of the things that he's missed the most is just hugging. And he said that they he can see how much their team has developed this culture of hugging. And not necessarily like side hug, but like a hug, like an embrace. Yeah. And he was saying how much he misses that when he sees people on his team, men and women. Like no like, oh, just my brothers. Like... He just misses that hug and that touch. And I think right now we're in this unique situation where, man, I think about my single friends who might live alone and this, you know, going on like 30 days of not being touched, I could honestly just cry because I cannot imagine it. And it it has opened my eyes to see how much as human beings, I mean, we know this from babies, like we know that they need to be touched when they're babies. And I don't think that changes. I read an article this morning uh, by, I'm going to mess up his name. The guy that's always talking on TV, the, about the medical doctor, about everything we should be doing. Starts with an F. Oh, uh, I just shared something from him this morning. Fauci? Yep. Something like that. Yep. Yep. The article said, and he said, uh, I wish I had it in front of me to read, but the gist of it was that he sees after this coronavirus is, you know, gone or there's a vaccine or whatever that might look like for our lives. He said, I could see us never going back to shaking hands again. And I thought, to, yeah. I, I, I saw that interesting because I knew I was chatting with you today about touch. And I thought, wow, that feels so extreme. And yeah. I don't know if that could actually be possible. Yeah. I think one thing I'm always reminded of is that God, not he wasn't just the first one to say or to, to, to touch humans. He was also the, the first one to say it is not good for man to be alone. God's whole purpose is to unite people under his love and banner and to bring us together to worship him for eternity. And so I think 
these social distancing and things like that, that's not God's best. It's not God's design. And we live in a broken, fallen world. And so we have to sometimes submit to what the brokenness and the fallenness of this world demand. My prayer through all of this, I mean, I've had so many people say, what a rotten time to release this book for you. And my prayer has been that just as, and I talk about like fasting from intimacy in the book in regard to singleness and dating. Um, My prayer has been as we are fasting from touch in this season, that the hunger for good, healthy touch would only grow stronger, Mm -hmm. that our stomachs would be growling for good, healthy, whole touch at the end of this in a way that is, I think, less sort of cavalier and, but is more intentional and purposeful than it's ever been before. So I love hearing you say, I could cry thinking about my single sisters, because here's the reality. Most of us who didn't spend significant seasons of life single or who aren't single, we're not thinking about our single brothers and sisters in that way very much. So here's an opportunity for us to sort of mourn with those who mourn and to feel something that they're feeling in a way that they, I mean, it's heightened for them as it, as it is for us right now, but it's more gnawing for them. Like their stomachs are growling a lot harder than your stomachs are growling for good head touch. Yeah. And I think this is God's way of saying in so many ways, I mean, not just around touch, but God is using this opportunity as we're sort of sheltering in place and under lockdown to help us face the ways that we have neglected to care for our own bodies and neglected to care for the bodies of others. We're facing our selfishness in a lot of ways. It's really difficult, really challenging. I don't know about you, but like, I I feel like I look in the mirror every day and I'm like, oh, golly, (laughs) like this is just revealing some hard things. And yeah, but I think it's also really good. And my prayer is that it will continue, that it's you know, that you will remember that for the rest of your life, you will remember to care for your, Mm. your single brothers and sisters in a physical way. I think that's good because I don't think that I've ever thought that before, like you said, because I don't think most of us do. Yeah. I mean, I have never, I've never lived alone. I've never been alone. And so I've always had that kind of built in. There's not a season in my life that I could have gone through quarantine and been alone. Yeah. I think one of the reasons we have so much damaging counsel to people who are in their singles or in their, who are in singleness around dating and touch and, you know, don't do this and do this. is because it's coming from people who have never lived alone or have always got married young. And I'm like, gosh, it's a different ball game when you're 35 and you are living alone. That's different. And we need people who have experienced those things to speak to those things. Um, You're going to write that book next, Lori? I don't know that I'll ever write a book on touch again. (laughs) You can write a book on like singleness and dating and you know, like. I could. I don't know. We'll see. Did you, I know that you did, I think, because you referenced in the book. Did you read I Kiss Dating Goodbye? Yeah. I mean, I grew up, yeah, as a teenager reading. How old were you? I think it was 15 when it came out. Okay. How old are you now? This is this 39. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm 42. And I read it. Let's, let me tell you when I read this book. Okay. So when I became a Christian, I was 21, grown up in church my whole life, like would have said I was a Christian, got baptized, all the things live like a crazy person though. So I get saved at 21 at passion. And when I get saved, all of a sudden, I mean, I have every relationship I've ever been in had been sexual. So all of a sudden I'm like, okay, here are my rules. And so I figured out all my rules and all my boundaries and all the things. And the very first book I read about dating 
was I kiss dating goodbye. <laughs> and here I was reading it as someone who had done anything and everything she ever wanted to do with her body and in relationships. And so that became, that was the first Christian book I read about dating. Isn't yeah. It's, it's your Bible and then your other Bible, right? <laughs> no, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of sad things around that book. We're, we're kind of mm-hmm. joking about it, but the, it's, I think it's, and, and Josh Harris has owned those things. He's, say. yeah. He came out and owned. Yeah. He's and, lamented. Yeah. He has lamented over them. And so, golly, he had to lament publicly. And I just, I know there's things that I need to own and lament over and just only by the grace of God, are they not in print for the whole world to read? Yeah. That's one of the reasons I waited. People are like, why did you wait so long to write a book? And I'm like, right there. <laughs> Example A. <laughs> Example A. Yeah. I just, I wanted to be really careful. And I know, I think, you know, 10 years ago, I could not have written this book and done it with I mean, I, I think in 10 years, I'll probably look back and I'll say, oh, I wish I'd done that better. But and that's okay. We'll, we'll all have, we all have those experiences, but growth, um, growth, yeah, growth, maturity and healing. Yeah. Yeah. Lori, I have eight other things on my list to talk to you about, and I don't have time to talk to you, but I have loved this conversation. You know, one of the things, if you're, if you're listening to this and, and you, and you happen to be a parent, I've also thought through this a lot in, in the lens of parenting in that whole, I mean, we talk all the time about how we want to raise our, um, our boys specifically, but our girls as well, um, to care for the other person. And I don't think I've had words to to say until I read parts of your book about the touch is for caring for the other person. I think I'm, I can be a very self-consuming person. Can't we all, right? But yeah, I'll, we are. I'll, I'll own my sin right here. I can be a very self-consuming person. And so what am I going to get out of this? You know, going to hug that child that will still give me all that affection. That's mainly for me. Like I need someone hug me, just somebody hug me. And I want to raise my kids and to rethink some touch for me is like, caring for that person. So how do I care for that person? And so thank you for just putting a little bit of language forth us to help us then do the hard work on our own is to investigate and see where are the boundaries for me? What does touch look like for me? How do I care for those in my inner circle and my bigger circle and then in ministry and in life? And you've done a great job of giving us this kind of blue, not blueprint, that's a bad word, but giving us these kind of ideas to run with. So thank you, Lori, is what I'm trying to say. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, I I have to ask you what you're reading. I'm going to guess you're an avid reader. Am I right? I am an avid reader, yeah. I knew it. I knew it. (laughs) Uh, You know, I always say readers are leaders. Mm -hmm. And then my son always says that's not actually true. He said the truth is leaders are readers, which is actually true. That is actually true, yeah. Do you happen to see the article that went out, that came out this week about George W. Bush? And no. Oh, oh, I have to send it to you because I have the biggest crush on George W. Bush. Yes, in the world. I know this. <laughs> Politics aside, like I just think he's a handsome young man. And I just read Sisters First by Jenna and Barbara, his daughters, and just adored it. It was a great read. Uh, but anyhow, I'm going to send you the article and everybody else, I'm going to tell you that when George W. Bush was, in, was president, he read a book at his ranch in Crawford about the 1918, I believe it was, flu. Flu. Yes, influenza that went around, and he came back to Washington. Oh, I did read this. Yes. Yes. And I was like, George W. Bush for the win. (laughs) Uh, But it's hard to keep something up with money when there's not this evident need. And so, but anyhow, the article was just like, this was on the forefront of his mind because of something he read. And I was like, see, look, readers are leaders. Okay, all that. Enough about George W. Bush. Lori, tell me what you're reading these days. 
I just finished for my second time. Have you read A Gentleman in Moscow? No. And I also need to tell you, I don't read books twice, but carry on. Okay. Well, I love reading books twice, but I read this book last year and just loved it. It's about a a count um, who is uh, on house arrest in Moscow for 30 years. And I thought, well, there's not a better time to read this book than right now. And so I reread it. So I, I just finished that one. And I just started a Yiddish policeman in Union Square, maybe. I think it's called something like that. And these are both fiction books. Obviously. They're fiction. Yeah. I read a lot of fiction. So I read a lot of nonfiction for work. Like I'm constantly reading. You you probably are doing this too. So what am I reading right now? Right now I'm doing some endorsement work. I am reading a book uh, on purity culture from Rachel Welcher. I am a, reading a devotional from Jonathan Puddle. Um, I'm reading, I'm an Enneagram 9. And so I'm reading an Enneagram 9 devotional from... Elizabeth Bennett. These are all for endorsements. So these books haven't released yet. So, but those are what I'm reading. I love that. Okay. What are some things that you're loving right now? Loving. Gosh, I feel like my uh, world is so small right now. You know, you're not alone. It's true. (laughs) I'm loving, you know, I, you know, got married at 34. So I feel like I'm allowed to really love time with we've been married five years and I have just loved having my husband around. It's been really sweet. He's a really, really great guy. So I've loved that. I really love, I just finished watching the good place. I really loved that. I have not seen that. Oh, I, it's so funny. Is and it's the one with Kristen Bell. It is with Kristen Bell. Yeah. So it's a little philosophical if you like that thing. Also comedy. Uh, so I really enjoy that. Uh, what else am I loving? I am not loving having to cook meals every night. That is not something I'm loving in this season. I usually like cooking, but it's not so much right now. It is a lot right now. I'm blessed because my husband loves to cook. And, but I'll tell you the truth. (laughs) I have been trying to take some of that. I mean, I can't like ask him to cook every night. I mean, I guess I could, but whatever. (laughs) That on as well. And so like I'm making, you know, like spaghetti and stuff like that, that is not really exciting. But I see a lot of my friends that are just saying, I have never cooked so much in my entire life yeah. right now. So I hear you on that. Also, we're eating a lot of like chopped salads. <laughs> that's like, good. We have another chopped salad version. This one has bacon in it. <laughs> yeah, That's exactly what we're doing. We're going to rotate our dressing out. We've got ranch chopped salad tonight. Yep. I love it. I love it. Lori, thank you so much for spending some time with me. I feel like that I'm turning into a super fan when I just kind of write mm-hmm. more on this book, but I really want everyone to get it their hands on it. Um, just because I, I believe that you have such good insight and it really causes you to think and, and see things. I wouldn't say through a different lens by any means, but just kind of a broader lens maybe of how we, especially as people in the church, especially as people in the church, um, could love people better. Mm-hmm. And you have challenged me a lot. And so I thank you for, I love being challenged. And so I thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot to hear. Well, well, you, you go enjoy your quarantine day uh, <laughs> and, 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 you know, do the same thing you did yesterday. That's basically <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. 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 Okay. Lori, thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks. Friends somewhere in the mess of our assumptions and fears about touch, there is something beautiful and good and God given. As Jesus can show us, there is a ministry in touching. I'm thankful for Lori's wisdom and words about touch, especially in a season where we have lost so much touch 
because of the coronavirus. I really hope that you're able to see the beauty and care that God has designed for Touch to bring into our lives. If you can get your hands on her book, Handle with Care, I highly recommend it as well. Today's show was edited and mixed by the team at Podshaper, and the music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Quinn Pearson, and the whole thing is organized by Lindsay Sweeney. Next week, we're kicking off the summer with a fun show, and it's my kids. Yes, I'm sitting down with all four of them. We're bringing them on the happy hour to talk about life as an Ivy, their hopes for the summer during this pandemic. There's probably going to be some silly moments captured as well for you guys, and you'll get a glimpse into our life here at home. Guys, enjoy your week. Share the show with a girlfriend. Have a virtual happy hour with a friend or maybe a social distance happy hour now. I'll see you next week with my favorite people in the whole entire world, my four kids. Four kids.